Welcome to Living Water, the teaching ministry of Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. This week, Pastor Dustin Jernigan begins a new series from the book of Titus. In this first of a two-part message, Pastor Dustin recounts the circumstances under which the young Titus inherited Paul's church leadership role on the island of Crete. Paul reminds Titus that all his religiosity had only caused him to become proud, keeping him from knowing Christ. Only after humbling himself was he able to fully become a true servant of God, completely devoted to spreading the gospel. Now, Living Water. We're looking at Titus. If you're just joining us this morning, uh, we're starting a four-week series on the book of Titus this morning. This is Paul's letter to the young pastor named Titus. This is page 1,184. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word. We've got hardback Bibles all throughout the room. Uh, because it really doesn't matter what I say. What really matters is what the Lord has said to his people. And so we're looking at Paul's letter to Titus, and we're going to do a four-week series, and we're going to go verse by verse through Titus. And we're going to start today with the introduction, which is just verses one through four. So Christian, hear the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord this morning. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our savior, to Titus, my true child, In a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You would be seated in it. As you're taking your seat, keep your Bible open in your lap and let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, would you open up our minds to grasp the truths of your word? Would you open up our hearts to love it? Holy Spirit, would you pour down water on the dry soil of our hearts? And would you plant the seed of the gospel and would it grow in our hearts? And Father, we pray that it would also work its way through our hands, that we would apply the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ to our lives. And this would accord to godliness that we would leave different people. We ask this in the only name that could ever change us from the inside out, in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Now, as we dive into Titus, uh, just sort of imagine this. You live in a tourism area. You live in a beautiful area of the world. Uh, it's, you live on this beautiful island in the Mediterranean. You know, it's got the turquoise water. You can hear the beach maybe from your house. Now, of course, like any place that sees a lot of beauty, right, there's an interesting group of people that make their way into your community, Right, so there's merchants and there's lots of sailors, and uh, you know, no offense to any sailors in the room, but they have a certain reputation, right? And uh, the sailors, they come and they go. They're a little hard on the community. Maybe you hear them laughing and carousing late at night. Uh, maybe your property value goes up and down a little bit. Now, imagine you are a part of a small religious community on that island, and you're deeply aware that your faith is not like the faith of the people around you. In fact, your faith is is radically different than theirs. Uh, They see um, not just one God, but 
tons of gods, tons of gods, and they're all deeply proud of their religious heritage, uh, which, remember, is not yours. And now imagine a wonderful teacher of God's word uh, comes to you, and he's old, and he's wise, and he's been around the block. And as he starts to teach the truth of God's message, the truth that Uh, that God is not served by man's hands nor by anything in a temple because God gives life to all of us. And in him, we live and move and have our being. And he has revealed himself amazingly in the person of Jesus Christ. And you love this old, wise teacher. Nobody teaches the Bible like this guy. And then just like that, he's gone. And to your chagrin, he puts this young up-and-coming guy, some young pastor who doesn't know his left hand from his right in charge. Now, some of you may be thinking of our own church right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, have, and most of you, some of you don't even know what we're talking about right now, right? There's this joke. Well, uh, you know, friends, this is both the context of uh, Titus, but it's very similar to our own context here at Jacksonville Presbyterian. So let me, let me let you in on the joke, right? Um, so uh, Larry Young was the longtime pastor of Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. He's still alive. I'm not giving an obituary. He's very much alive and well. And uh, he and Sally will be coming back in October or November. And uh, Pastor Richard and I, you know, have joked about it. We're going to make him go through the new members class, which will be tons of fun. <laughs> you know, oh, hey, are you new here? You, you should probably go through the new members class. So... Yeah, so we're going to have uh, Pastor Larry uh, back this fall. We're all looking forward to it. But Pastor Larry was the pastor here for 33 years. Uh, He became the pastor in 1985, which, you know, fun fact, some of you know, I also became a human in 1985. (laughs) So we have a lot in common, you know, Pastor Larry and I. And uh, he'd been around the block. He was very, he is very wise. He knows his stuff. And he has passed on the leadership of a spiritual community, a little local church, to this young up-and-coming guy who doesn't really know much anything. And uh, friends, that's the context of this letter from Paul to Titus. You see, the island of Crete, which is where this is all taking place, says right there in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. Crete is this beautiful Mediterranean island. And it was very proud of its religious heritage. Um, If you know anything sort of about the Greek gods, you know, and mythology and all that stuff, uh, you may remember a god named Zeus, who's the the father god, right? He's the the god, you know, that um, rules all of the other gods. Well, allegedly, he was born on Crete. Um, Kind of a strange thing for a god to be born, but maybe don't worry about that right now. Well, Zeus was allegedly born on Crete, and the Cretans were very, very proud of that. And what you also may you know, even hear when I say it is Cretan um, is kind of an offensive word to call somebody. It's kind of an old way of calling somebody you know, a nincompoop or something. You know? um, and so if I ever said, you, you're just a Cretan, you know, these Cretans over here. Well, that derogatory sense was also true during this time. Um, Cretans, because of the merchant lifestyle and sort of like just how beautiful it was, um, they really embodied sort of this rough and tumble personality, right? Uh, they really um, glorified deception. I mean, and they really became what they worshiped. I mean, think about it this way, you know, um, you know the stories of Zeus. Anyone ever study Greek mythology, you know? Um, how many people, uh, how many women did Zeus sexually assault? to use a modern phrase. How many women did he impregnate forcibly? Um, Zeus made a sort of a glorified um, usage of lying and being deceitful. 
and you become what you worship. And so what you find in Greek mythology is the gods are not moral characters the way you and I would think of moral characters. Instead, what the Greek gods, by and large, are they're, they're projections of our own virtues and vices. They're just sort of like, they're just like us, except we project all of our good and our bad. And so they don't see Zeus as always telling the truth. And what Paul is doing is he's coming to this island in Crete and he's saying, God is unlike anything you have ever known. He is not deceptive. He will not sexually assault your women. God never lies. And you do not know him until you know God, our Savior. And he has come to you. He has not asked you to climb Mount Olympus and attain righteousness. This profound message is that God has descended from heaven while we were still sinners, while you and I were broken, and he entered into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. He was righteousness to us. He loved us while we were sinners. He died to take the punishment of our sins. And then he is back from the dead to prove that it was all true and to make all of the sad things come undone. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will save his people. You see, and that message, the gospel message, when Paul arrives on Crete, it starts to transform the whole island. And what happens is all of these communities of Jewish people who would have known the scriptures and Greek people who would have never known any of these stories started to come and they would say, I want to know God. I want to know the God of the Bible, the Jewish Messiah who is full of grace and truth. And I, I'm here for him and him alone. And just when things were getting exciting, just when things were doing well, Paul leaves. And he never comes back to Crete from everything we know. But that's because Paul is a church planter and that's what he was called to do. And so Paul starts these churches and then possibly to the chagrin of, you know, the congregations, who does he leave in charge? We'll look at verse four. He leaves a young pastor, young Titus in charge. And so friends, what more fitting letter can our church go through right now as we experience transition um, from a great seasoned saint to a young, know-nothing pastor. In fact, that's exactly what Titus is gonna be all about. And so our question as we're going through this week by week is, are we actually going to believe by faith that if we follow God's word, God is gonna bless us and we're gonna see a transformation in our church? Or are we gonna trust in our own strength, you know, the beauty of our, of our facilities, you know, the winsomeness of our characters? What are we gonna trust in? Well, Paul tells Titus very clearly what we are to trust in. And it's the message of the gospel. And that's what we're gonna be focusing on for the next four weeks. Okay, so some of you love it when I give three points in a poem at the end, you know, and I know um, we're not gonna do that today. <laughs> no amens, no, no amens, too soon, yeah. Last week I was egging y'all on to give me some more amens to be a little bit more responsive, but it's okay, we're the frozen chosen, so we go, mm, mm. <laughs> Mm, good point, yes. I will reflect silently on that, of which you have spoken. It's okay to be a little responsive, right? I know we're in a cold climate environment, but y'all just have to deal with it. I'm from a hot weather climate, okay? 
So I'm not going to give you three points in a poem. What instead I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk you through this passage sort of verse by verse, word by word. And uh, some of you just are all excited because you love sermons like that. Other, others of you, you know, you may need to gird up your loins and just get ready because here we go. All right, let's look at this passage. Verse one, one, who's Paul? But what you need to remember about Paul is Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, which meant he was ethnically Jewish. He would have steeped himself in the Old Testament. He would have had it all memorized. Uh, He would have known it in and out. Um, In fact, he was so proud of his religiosity. It was his whole defining identity. Um, In Philippians, he boasts, he says, yeah, before I knew Christ, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. And as to the law, blameless, right? I was a good person and I knew it. Until, of course, he met Jesus, right? And Paul was so thick-headed, you know, it took nothing less than knocking him off a horse to get his attention, right? And Paul reflects on that and he says, Um, All of that religiosity stuff, all of the Sunday school lessons, all of the knowledge, um, ironically led me to be proud and not recognize what God was doing. And so, I mean, what, what a challenge to us if you've been raised in the church, that it's possible for us to be raised around religiosity and knowing the scriptures and yet miss Jesus. You know, the great author Flannery O'Connor, the great Southern Gothic author Flannery O'Connor in her book, Wise Blood, um, she describes this man, this you know, real uh, moral man um, in a really profound and sort of shocking way. And it's talking about how he was avoiding a relationship with God. And you know how the best way to avoid a relationship with God is? It's not to be really heathenistic and crazy and pagan because um, eventually that lifestyle is gonna run its course. The best way to really avoid a relationship with the real God is like this. Flannery O'Connor in her book, she says, there was a black wordless thought deep in his heart that the way to avoid God was to avoid sin. See what she's getting at is for somebody like Paul and for people like me, the danger is to deem myself such a good person that I don't need a savior. And yet, Paul realizes profoundly that that is his greatest need. Even when I was religious, I was proud about it. Even when I was religious, I was condescending. I didn't know Jesus. Paul says, I count all of that as rubbish except for knowing this, Christ Jesus, my Savior. And that's exactly what he calls God. Look at verse three. He says, God, our Savior. Now, of course, Paul gives his life to Jesus because he realizes Jesus is literally back from the dead, not metaphorically, not spiritually. Um, Nobody dies for a spiritual idea. People died in the New Testament because they believe Jesus actually came back from the dead. Um, You know, he really believes this is true. And so he calls himself not a Pharisee anymore. He doesn't take that identity. Instead, what does he call himself? He calls himself right there in verse one, a servant of God. Now, if you look right there at your verse, that word servant in Greek is doulos. um, And that just simply means um, servant or slave. 
And the word is a little tricky to translate in English because when we hear the word slave, you know, we envision chattel slavery um, that was alive and well in the American South, you know, the kind of man-stealing that the Old Testament forbids. This kind of slavery in the ancient world uh, was more akin to sort of your social status, not necessarily your race. So if you think about it, there's not social welfare programs. Um, lots and lots of people were very poor. And so sometimes the best way to pay, off of a, to pay off a debt or guarantee food for your family would maybe to be to give yourself as a servant to a really wealthy person, right? And uh, the Old Testament talks about this. If you're a Hebrew, um, you may, there may come a day you need to become somebody's servant either to pay off a debt or you're poor. And it's, you know, at least you get job security, right? And so what would happen is you would sell yourself either as a slave or a bond servant or a servant, and you would serve six years, but then in the seventh year, your master had to release you at no cost to you. Uh, But what's fascinating about the Torah is it says, actually, there are some people who so love their master that really had a genuine great relationship with their master that they would agree to be lifelong servants, lifelong slaves, if you will, to that master because they were such a positive uh, relationship between the two. And the Torah allows us, if you want to do that, if you you want to be a lifetime servant of this person, you can. You just need to go and get your ear pierced. And that'll be assigned to everybody that you're their lifelong servant. And I think that's a really beautiful depiction of how Paul sees his relationship to Jesus. He is a lifelong servant to the Lord, to Jesus. It's the great paradox of faith. We have been set free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you and I are heirs of everything. We are co-heirs with Christ. And yet at a profound sense, we are also servants. We are also doing the will of the Lord. And I don't care you know, how many degrees you have or you know, the money in your bank account. The greatest thing you should be proud of is you should be able to say of yourself, I am a servant of God. I do what he tells me to do. That is who I am. I mean, listen to what Paul's saying, right? Paul could have taken pride in all the things he's done for God. But instead he says, you know who I am? I am a servant of the Lord. The person I think that gives the most beautiful depiction of this uh, is, is beautiful Mary. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, in Luke chapter one, you may remember the story, an angel comes to Mary and she says, you're gonna have a child. Um, and that child is going to save us all. And you know what Mary says in Luke? She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She says, I am here to do God's will. That's the most dignifying thing I could ever take on. So it's deeply humbling. And yet, Christian, do you know that you are a servant? Do you want to do what God tells you to do? Do you realize that that is finally freedom? All right, let's keep going. So Paul not only is a servant, but look right there at verse one. He also says that he's an apostle, right? So what does it mean that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, an apostle um, is an actual proper term. And what I mean by that is an apostle is a specific group of people um, who lived in history. Um, So let me phrase it to you this way. Um, Is every Christian a disciple? Is every Christian, you know, a disciple or follower of Jesus? Yes. But is every Christian an apostle? No. An apostle was a select small number of people who spoke 
on behalf of God. And they all had one really, really important thing that would separate them from the other Christians. And that is they saw Jesus back from the dead. They were the apostles. They were the witnesses to the resurrection. In fact, remember one of them, Judas, I remember one of the original 12 apostles, Judas hangs himself because he betrays Jesus and the other 11 apostles get together and they deem another man an apostle. And they say, it has to be somebody who is a witness to the resurrection. And friends, you in your lap are holding the ministry of the apostles. That's what the New Testament is. Who's Matthew? Matthew was one of the 12. Who was John? John was one of the 12. Paul is an apostle. He met Jesus back from the dead. Who is James? He's the Lord's brother who saw the Lord Jesus back from the dead. It's kind of funny. We don't know that he's a believer, but we do know after the resurrection, he's a believer. It's probably hard to believe your brother's the Messiah until you watch him die and then he comes back from the dead. That may convince you, right? First and second Peter, first, second, and third John. They're all, this in your lap, you hold the apostolic faith. This is the faith passed down from Jesus to the apostles. And they, we, the apostles are not to swerve to the right or to the left, right? They are to teach the truth of God's word, right? And that's exactly what Paul says. Look, he says, I have been called to this specific office of apostle. I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. No one you have ever met is an apostle, okay? So if anybody claims to be an apostle, you just walk away because they're crazy, all right? <laughs> this is the apostolic faith. These are the apostles. But notice what he says. Why did God call him to this unique office? He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. You know, isn't it so refreshing that he doesn't say, so that I can have a multimedia, uh, you know, ministry. I can name it stpauldoescoolministry.com. I can be on the radio. I can be on TV. I can get the book deals, get all the glory. You know, I can sign commentaries. I mean, I know you, you can't imagine anybody doing that in the Christian world. Not an amen on that? Anyway, all right. Hmm. Cut a little close to the vest. Uh, you know, when I was in seminary, uh, I, and I was in seminary forever because it took forever. <laughs> took eight years to get it all through. Um, but I remember early on when I was in seminary, I was at this coffee shop and, you know, standing in line, this old guy says, what do you do, son? And I said, I'm in seminary, you know? And I thought he was going to be like, good on you, boy. You know, but instead he, he kind of looks at me, you know what he said? He goes, hmm, you know, narcissists are prone to three professions. <laughs> he said, politics, sales, and ministry. <laughs> that got an amen for some reason. <laughs> That'll preach. That's preaching to somebody in the room, right? But why, does, Paul, does Paul get glory in his life? I mean, I know we glorify him now. You know, I know we love Paul now, right? We don't worship Paul. I know we like Paul now, but let's be honest. Paul was like despised by so many people. Um, the Corinthian church, they like couldn't stand Paul half the time. And Paul, and Paul drove them nuts. 
And Paul was beaten multiple times. He tells us he's beaten all the time. You can even read in his letters, they, they, the Corinthian church that he planted, they were so mad at Paul. You know why? Because Paul wouldn't get paid by them because they wanted the prestigious Bible teacher, the beautiful orator. And Paul says, no, that's bad for your souls. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be a tent maker because I come to you not preaching like the other Greeks. I don't come with fancy words or rhetoric. You know what I come preaching? I come preaching a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. I come preaching Christ and him crucified. And it drove the Corinthian church bonkers. Just read 2 Corinthians. It's like this constant theme because they want this prestigious man. And Paul says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Um, I am not doing it for glory. I am doing it so that Christ would be the one that we focus on. Look at verse one again. He is doing this. He is suffering. He is preaching for the sake of our faith and our knowledge of the truth. And I know that word, right, that phrase right there, God's elect, you know, some of you may uh, sort of get nervous around that phrase, but um, that's simply a way of the Bible explaining, friend, um, that you were chosen to receive the grace of God. That before the ages began, God in his beautiful power and providence has selected you to receive mercy. It's not something you earned. It's not because you're smarter than other people. God did not reveal himself because you are more capable than others. God has chosen to reveal his grace to you and it should be deeply humbling. And it is so encouraging. And when the New Testament talks about election, about you Christian, being elected by God, what it means is that your salvation was determined by God himself. Jesus says it this way, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me and they will not escape my grasp. I will not let them go. They are in my hand and they are in the Father's hand. It's this beautiful depiction in John chapter six, Christian, your life is hid with Christ. And it is guaranteed, not just by God the Son, but by God the Father, you receive his grace and you need to know you can have assurance. Hebrews, the whole book of 1 John is written Christian so that you may have assurance of the things you have been taught. Perfect love casts out all fear. My standing before God is not something I earn or maintain. It is something Jesus earned on my behalf and maintains at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And that's so humbling. Who am I to judge other sinners? I'm here to plead with them to know the grace of God. Christian, you are the elect. Let that humble you and let it give you assurance. We'd like to invite you to worship with us Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. in our sanctuary at 425 Middle Street in Jacksonville. For more information, call 899-1287 or visit our website. Join us next week at this same time for part two of this message from Living Water, the teaching ministry of Jacksonville Presbyterian Church.